It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Smoky Mountain Organics VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. Don't forget about our friends at Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. They've got four in-store locations to serve you, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Sevierville, and their Knoxville location on Kingston Pipe just across from Trader Joe's. Or you can shop online at their website, SmokyMountainOrganics.com. Be sure and check them out. Hope everybody's having a great start to the new year. Lots of things going on with Tennessee. Tennessee plays basketball against Ole Miss. We'll get to that in just a little bit of the podcast. Certainly recruiting is on the topic of everybody uh, on everybody's mind as well. But before we get to that, let's put a bow tie on this football season, on this bowl game. Rob Lewis, 48-45 overtime loss to Purdue. Um, your takeaway from the bowl game, and, and how does that affect the big picture in your mind, uh, in your opinion, of what Josh Heupel and his staff did in year one? I mean, it doesn't really affect it very, very much to me. I mean, it was, you know, like Coach Heupel said, it was a disappointing end of, end of the season. But, you know, I just don't read that much into one one loss. I mean, you know, Tennessee, you know, jumps out to a big lead. They lose it. I mean, I, I get why fans are critical and, and disappointed. But to me, it doesn't come close to, you know, overshadowing the tangible things that, that this staff did in, in terms of, you know, turning the page with this program and getting things going in a, in a different direction. What's your biggest, what is your biggest takeaway of success for, for, for this season? T- take away the wins and losses. What, what do you leave? What do you leave this season saying Tennessee was successful because maybe for, for, for this past year and, and how it looks at moving forward, but beyond, beyond winning and, and losing, what was successful for this program? I mean, I mean, this is like beyond basic, but it's just the offense. I mean, the way that Jeremy Pruitt – I mean, I know he wasn't the offensive coordinator, but the way that team, that last team in particular, played on offense, the way they struggled to score points. I mean, how many times – did they – Hubbard, am I remembering this right? They scored 20-plus three times in 2020. That sounds right. In a I mean, I, I, I could be wrong about that, but they averaged right at 20, and they almost doubled the amount of points per game this year to write, you know, right under 40. And again, that's super simple and basic, but, but that to me is, is my biggest takeaway from 2021 is that they're playing. Tennessee has played offense like a team in the, in the second decade of the 21st century in college football needs to play it. What about you, Austin? What, what's your, I mean, you've had a few days. I mean, I know we talked at length about, the officiating, we talked at length about the bowl game following the, the game and our, and our podcast and on the ride home and everything else. But three days, four days removed from the end of the season, what's your overarching takeaway from this year? I, I told you when you were talking about column ideas, you know, I, it's almost like, you know, the forest was burned to the ground and, and you know, there's new vegetation showing through. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of where I'm at. I mean, you know, Never would have thought that this team would be able to uh, to play the way they did. Again, I did predict them to go seven and five, but that was just based off the pure facts that if that team last year went three and three and five against the teams they were supposed to play, surely this team could, you know, 
do that. And Tennessee could potentially win four non-conference games. Tennessee only won three, but they won an extra game in conference play and went four and four. So, um, but, you know, to do it the way they did it and, you know, you know, just kind of have some, you know, just a little bit of juice. I mean, like it just, it's, it's something we talk about a lot, like whether it's in recruiting or on the field, you know, they had a little bit of momentum once the season started and once they found their quarterback. And, um, you know, I don't think you can talk about Hendon Hooker enough, um, you know, the way he played basically all year long. He didn't play a great game in the Music City Bowl, but he still threw five touchdowns. I mean, let's think about where Tennessee's been the last four years before that. I mean, it was a long four years after Josh Dobbs left. So to have this guy come in and kind of steady the ship and be back next year, um, you know, I, I think that's why Vol fans are excited. What's yours, Hubbard? Well, I, I think that, that, that they put stability in play, that, 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 they, that they have an identity. You may not always agree with it. You know, I, I'd like for them to be under center, uh, on, you know, in the goal line situations. And there's some things that, that I don't just absolutely love, kind of what, they're, what they do all the time. But, but my biggest takeaway from this year is at, at the end of the day, they exceeded my expectations. But the bigger takeaway is that you're walking out of this season, heading into an off season where you know what this program's trying to accomplish. You know they're, and you know how they're going to try to do it. You know their identity. They are going to try to outscore people. That's not to say they're not going to get better on defense because they have to, but, but you know what their identity is going to be. They're going to be aggressive and they have an offensive, you know, they're not taking what the defense gives them and that type of thing. I mean, they're attacking and they have an identity. And I think it's been a while since you felt like this program has had an identity. Um, so th that's my biggest takeaway besides the, the wins and losses is that there's a brand. When, when you say, what is Tennessee football heading into 2022, we have an understanding of what that possibly is or what that's supposed to be and what that's supposed to look like. I think it's felt like a, a while since we've known that, you know, I mean, it, it just, it, it's been a while since you, regardless of who their quarterback's going to be, regardless of who their receivers are, they have a style of play. And I think that's something that, that has been lost with Tennessee. So, so that's my, that's my biggest takeaway from this year, which leads me to this question. Does this feel different than year? Does, Heading into year two with Josh Heupel feel different than heading into year two with other coaches, you know, and, and, and yes. most Tennessee fans have felt year twos for a lot of guys moving forward. And why does it feel different? Quarterback. It's as simple as that. I mean, Lane never got a year two. Butch year, Butch year two was still Worley. You know, Jeremy year two was, was JG. So because of what Hendon has done on the field – that's why it feels different. They, they've still got massive holes to fill. I mean, right tackle is, is a massive hole, corner, safety speed, linebacker, you know, other receivers besides Cedric Tillman, and even Jalen Hyatt, who will, I'll, I'll give him that one because he's come on here at the end of the year and had a, you know, solid couple of games. But, you know, there's still lots of holes to fill. But would you feel better just because of Hendon Hooker? Crazy how the game's become so much about the quarterback. I mean, I know it's always been about the quarterback, Rob, but it seems like more than ever it's about the quarterback. Yeah, I didn't agree more. I mean, you like think, I mean, it's been about the quarterback, like you just said, for a long time. But I mean, I, I don't think that that '98 Tennessee team wins with T. Martin. 
at quarterback in, in, in today's climate. Um, I don't know, you know, the, the, some of those Alabama teams win with, with Greg and McElroy, and that's not that's that's not even been ten years ago, has it? If it maybe it's not been fifteen, for sure. I mean, I just think the the way that that football is played right now, I mean, you've got to have a guy that can you know throw for three hundred yards or or be a guy that can run for a hundred or you know a Lamar Jackson type that that can do both. I mean, you've got to be explosive and dynamic at that position. I mean, I think the I mean, I think I think the day the day of the game manager. I, I think I think that's gone. Which will be interesting to see if Georgia can win the thing on Monday night. Their their but, quarterback played better than a game manager. I was getting ready to say game. he didn't look like a game manager against Michigan. No, he and, didn't. So we'll, we'll see how they play there. But but the quarterback position is has always been important. But it's so important. That's why every high profile quarterback out there, Austin, is going to demand large sum NIL deals. I mean, I mean, if, if you look at it, I don't want to jump into completely into recruiting. We'll finish up with football before we do that. But you look at assembling a football team, you got to have a guy who can, who can play the quarterback position. You got to be able to protect him on the edge. You got to be able to rush the quarterback. That, that, that's kind of where you start, like an NFL franchise. That's where you start building from. And um, that, that's why quarterbacks are, are going to create um, the high-demand NIL dollars out there in recruiting because um, you, you got to have one to win, and that's the bottom line. If you don't have one, it's really hard to, to win big and, and to be successful. So, so Tennessee goes into this offseason uh, appearing at this point that everybody, you know, that the staff's going to stay together. Um, there's a large number of guys at this point that are coming back. It doesn't appear there's going to be a mass rush to the transfer portal. Um how stable are things, and how big is it that the whole staff comes back if that's what ends up happening? Well, I think it's big. I mean, you know, it's not everything, but I think it is definitely something when you have common voices that are all back, you know, especially a coordinator, um, obviously a coach, but, you know, I mean, even at position coaches. I don't think every position coach you have to hear the same voice all the time, but, you know, I think a, a core portion of them you do. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, the stability, that's just something this place has not had in a long, long time. Look at Clemson, how much stability they've had. And all of a sudden now they're up in flux with all kinds of new coaches. And we'll be interested to see, you know, what all Dabo does. We know what he's done with his coordinators, but what's he do with these other position coaches that potentially have left or will be leaving. So, um, you know, I think it's good for Josh Heupel to have the, the same group of coaches back in year two. Because it's year two, Rob, is, is that what makes it vitally important as opposed to being year three or year four? I mean, you look at Jeremy Pruitt's first year. He, he goes through an offensive coordinator change after that first year. And a DC change. Yeah, I think we could all agree that that, that thing never got on, on track in large part because there was, a, there was too much turnover the, the first 24 months on, on the job, you know, so to speak. I mean, how important is it for a young coach or for a, a – a coach early in his tenure to keep guys together. I mean, Sam Pittman's been able to do it at Arkansas um, and some other places. I mean, is that as big a key as, as having a quarterback in some ways? Uh, I would, I'd trade an offensive coordinator for Bryce Young. <laughs> but I think, I do think it's a big deal to have continuity. I mean, just like you mentioned, your takeaways have the stability. And I think it's so much different. I mean, I, <clears throat> I think this is one of the reasons if you're an athletic director, you, you hire a guy that, that's a head coach because he's bringing a program with him. Or he, you know, he knows what he wants his program to look like. 
as opposed to to Jeremy, who, you know, no no offense to him. I mean, any guy like that is going to be in the same position. He's learning on the fly. He's deciding what's important to him. You know what standards he wants to set. What what he's going to emphasize as being important. What he's looking for in assistant coaches. And Josh Heupel, you know, he didn't have a long track record, but you know, three years is is three years, and he knew what was important to him as, as far as what he wanted to emphasize within within his program. And he brought a big chunk of his staff with him. And you know, I think that's I think that's a big deal. That you know, not only do you have continuity, you have a head coach that knows what he wants his program to look like. He's not learning what he wants his program to look like. All right, last football thing here, not recruiting, but but. Your three biggest question marks are three biggest things that need to get answered for Tennessee in the next five to six months. Who the right tackle is going to be? <clears throat> Got to protect the quarterback, you know, and then, you know, what guys can they get in the transfer portal in the secondary? You safeties, know, I, I, I was going to say safeties, safeties, safeties. Right tackle. More important to you, Austin, than than even secondary. You think that's you think that's a, the biggest priority, or do you think the secondary is a bigger priority? Or is it one A, one B, and that's it? Well, because you could have multiple bodies in the secondary. The secondary is most important. But you know, if it's just body for body, I would rather. Have, I think the right tackle is more important than one player in the secondary. But you could have if you can sure up the secondary, um, then then it becomes most important. Yeah, big offseason for that secondary for sure for the development of Kamal Haddon, Brandon Turnage, Deshaun Rucker, um, obviously some guys, Warren Burrell, guys who struggled mightily in, in the bowl game against Purdue. Um, and, and that's just the corners. That's not even talking about safeties there. So a huge offseason for, for those guys and, and a big offseason for this program. The, the, the team and the coaching staff, coaches are working on recruiting um, with a little bit of time off here before they come back into the office and get ready to go back out on the road. Players are off until uh, the middle part of January when uh, they will return and, and start their winter workouts and start the, the spring semester. We'll see who all comes back. It certainly feels like most everybody's going to come back at this point. And, and they're going to be an influx of a bunch of new players roll in. 13 new guys scheduled to come in. Uh, throw Mincy in there, I guess. 14 new guys are scheduled, scheduled to be in here uh, for Tennessee. 13 or 14 guys, which are certainly going to be um, – most important and then the question Austin becomes who joins them who, who else does Tennessee go get a lot of guys as expected jumping in the portal this week we, we've seen safeties we've seen offensive linemen linebackers we've seen all kinds of guys jump in the portal uh, we know Tennessee's heavily involved in a couple of guys uh, start let's start with Jared Verse and, and kind of where you think that one is from a timeline I think I think you and I both feel like Florida State Tennessee seem to be the top two. LSU's been kind of lurking in there. Timetable on that next week? In, in the next week, you think something's done, Austin, with Burst? I mean, 48 hours. 48 hours. So yeah. you think he's close in terms yeah, of trying close. to get to a decision. Yep. I think it's some before before the clock rolls to Thursday morning, I think uh, Jared Burst is off the board. And that's a, obviously a huge one for Tennessee if they can land that because, Rob, that's defensive line help. That's edge help to try to get to the quarterback. As we saw in the bowl game, Tennessee got, Tennessee has a hard time getting to the quarterback. They've got to find some bodies who can help them give a better get a better chance of getting to the quarterback, close on some guys besides Byron Young. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, 
I just, I don't, I don't have anything to say other than to agree with you, but that's, I mean, we talk about how important quarterback play is and, you know, one way to offset that is to have guys who can get after the quarterback. And I can't, there's no clear example of that than what you saw Georgia do Friday night in a, to Michigan. I mean, they have, I mean, they come in waves. I mean, they don't have one or two guys. They have multiple guys that can get after the quarterback. And I mean, you, that's, you know, that's the antidote to that, – that's a defense's best answer, I think, in, in today's game to, to the way things are played is to be able to pressure the quarterback. And it could be one of the biggest answers for Willie Martinez and his group as well. It certainly makes life easier on the back end if you can have some guys that they can get to the quarterback. Austin, we know Tennessee's looking for a wide receiver uh, in the portal as well. Um, what else do you see? I mean, we hear a lot of names, anything tracking really hard in the portal name-wise. And two, is there a shift in any position needs for Tennessee in the portal based on what you saw Thursday in the bowl game and kind of where you think this program is heading into year two? Well, I mean, obviously they'd love to add Jared Verse. You know, sure. they'd love to add, you know, a receiver, a running back, an offensive lineman, and then the rest, I think, secondary. So if you're talking seven, if you're talking seven spots left. Then, to me, I'm looking at, you know, receiver, running back, verse. Let's say versus in, even though it, he's not told the staff he's coming, and I'm not saying he's coming. I'm just saying let's count him as if he were devil's advocate here. Um, so those, those three. Tackle would be four, and then three spots in the secondary. That's not counting a guy like Ahmad Moten, who Tennessee would love to have and would love to take. But that would affect the seven. But based it would. on the numbers with the eighty-five, so you got to balance an act there. You're not yeah. you're not necessarily taking seven transfers, but seven. We think seven more players, yes, high school and, and transfers to be combined. Combined when when you look at where Tennessee's at with. Um, the NCAA stuff, 85, and, and all those types of things. Running back, I mean. That's what I was going to say. I, that, that would kind of surprise me a little bit you, you after, feel they like, got, after they got Williams. You feel like they need to go running back there? Uh, yeah, think I, think they're, I think they're taking a, a transfer running back. Wow, if they can get the right guy there. So, um, we'll see what, what, what names shake out there, what names don't shake out there. Again, more people are going in every day. Um, but you got to be selective, right, Austin? I mean, you, you can't just – and that's the challenging part is you've got needs. You know what your needs are. There's a bunch of guys out there, but you're trying to decide, are there going to be better guys in there? Can I do better with the high school? Do I need to be patient? You know, we know if they're leaving an SEC school to go to another one, it's got to happen this month, right? That's correct. Are they the got to be thing, in the portal by, by they've got to be in the portal by February 1st, right? Yeah. I think the important thing too, Brent, is like – you can't wait. Like, if, if there's a guy that you like, but you don't love him, you like him. You To me, you can't sit around going, yeah, I like him, but I may need to wait on that after spring run. Because what if there's nothing then? You know, if you need a guy, to me, you ha you can't be too selective, depending on the position. Like, if, you, if, you if you're just trying to build depth at a spot, then you're selective. But if to me, you can't get caught – thinking ahead to May, you know, and then nobody goes in and you're left with nothing. Yeah, it's a challenging balance because you get, it's got to go quick here, Rob. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, you've got to 
<laughs> you're going to be back in school essentially before the dead period ends or right as the dead period's ending. So, I mean, you, you got to go fast in a really, really short window, really tight window here. And I think what the, what the interesting thing with that Rob is not only can you not bring them to campus, you can't go see them. So you can't even go size the guy up if you don't know who he is, you know, it's a, I mean, it's, it's really tight. And how, I mean, is it COVID related that, I mean, why do you, I've got a kid that's a freshman or, I don't, or a sophomore, and I don't know the answer. Why is Tennessee going back to school so late? I mean, they're not going back. I think 23rd maybe is when, is when classes start back. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the answer to that that's is. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a potentially good thing, though, if you're Tennessee because coaches can go out on the road that week before that and you can technically go see kids like you're talking about and get a feel for them. Of course, that still puts you in a tight window, but at least – I, I mean, and you could bring kids on campus that last week too, but, I mean, you want you, you want students here. You know I mean? You want to be able to show them, the, you know, and the, the, what the campus environment is about. Yeah, I think it's a little different for transfers, guys, because I don't know well, that's that true. For, for some of those guys that that part of it is nearly as important as it is for a high school kid. I would agree my, with that. Completely. Most of those guys have already seen the college scene, sort of know – you know, when you have the job of a football player, how important the college scene is or, or isn't in, in a lot of ways, but still a tight window to make decisions in terms of getting a guy. I mean, you, you might think you're all in. Let's, let's look at Jared Verse, for example. One of the things Tennessee needed to see, Austin, out of Jared Verse is they needed to size him up. Before Tennessee was, was ready to go and, and all in, Rodney Garner wanted to go see him. He wanted to go see if he was really as big as he said he was and as everybody said he was. And so based on once they saw him, they physically, they decided to go all in there. Uh, you don't have that window to do that now, particularly with some guys that you don't have a history with if you're trying to, to recruit them. So um, that, that creates part of an interesting challenge. And there are plenty of interesting challenges uh, with the transfer portal, which has got a lot of people um, wondering about, about a lot of different things and, and question a lot of different things. I, I'm going to, I'm going to close out recruiting. Uh, we'll have more in recruiting. There's not a ton of high school stuff going on right now. Um, we're going to have high school updates throughout the rest of this week. Had, Austin, you had a chance to visit with some of the top players in the state of Tennessee in the mid-state area. We already had the story up on, on Caleb Herring. We'll, we'll have more on there. By the way, I, I thought Aiden Bustle, of the guys you saw in, in Nashville, we saw in Nashville, no offense to all those other guys, to me he looks as different as anybody's look from one year to the next from a physical standpoint that didn't you, didn't you think out of, I mean, just in terms of change, I know he's bigger than all those other guys, the skill guys we interviewed or you interviewed, but just the way he looked a year ago to compare to where he looks now to me is significantly different. Yeah. I mean, he's a good looking kid. And so, I mean, Tennessee's, you know, you know, I think the 23 class is not nearly as deep as the 22s, um, you know, but there's a there's a handful of kids, especially in the mid-state, where I think Tennessee's trying to make uh, some uh, real movement. So, you know, you look at, you know, Justin Brown at Blackman, Aiden Bussell at Mount Juliet, um, you know, you look at Caleb Herring, even going up into, you know, southern Kentucky, just across the line of Bowling Green, Christian Conyers, uh, important guys, Shamar Porter, um, you know, Tennessee, you know, Nathan Robinson, Tennessee's, Tennessee's trying to make a play for some of those uh, key guys in that mid-state area. All right, before we talk hoops, last question, you guys, part of a New Year's resolution. You can make you can make three changes to college football to improve college football. Who wants to go first here? Who, what three changes are you making to the college football game? Rob, you want to go first? 
I got two that I can think of without thinking hard. One of them is the injury stuff. Obviously, you got to some some rule has to for these kids faking injuries. You know, with the coaches telling them to fake injuries, you got to you've got to come up with some kind of penalty for that. Um, you know, the kid sits out the rest of the series. The kid sits out X number of plays. There's got to be something. And um, my second would be like the NFL does. They've got somebody back at headquarters looking at replays so that the refs don't have to go over to a monitor and take five minutes every time there's a replay. You know, they got somebody at, at the at the home office, you know, buzzing in, like, you need to look at this, or, hey, you don't need to look at this. This is what happened. And because, I mean, when we can all see it at home within 30 seconds, it's ridiculous for a referee to go over and, you know, spend three minutes staring at a monitor. Austin, what are you going with? Kind of like when you uh, you win the Masters lottery as a media member, you don't get to do it again for another seven years. Uh, I think you know Saban's you know capped out if he wins Monday night. And <laughs> You're putting him on hiatus. That's him on. number one. <laughs> I mean, like I mean, a lot of it is all the you know the rule changes with the the faking injuries and you know um, you know I. I, I <sighs> There's no easy way. There's no way to switch. I mean, I mean like the, the transfer portal is easily becoming like where good teams go to get better. I mean, like that, and that no one's shocked by that. No one's shocked by you know Alabama or whoever cherry picking you know the best player from a mid level school that you know they missed out on or or, or overlooked come go back in the recruiting process. So I mean, there's no way to fix that really. So and to me, it's just kind of you know the stuff Rob just talked about. I think you got to throw the, the the clock in there too. And, and do you need to look at 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 how much you you know going to more of the NFL clock rules? Because even even I know reviews take up some time. There's no doubt about that. Too many reviews, too many stoppages in play. You're still dealing with games that are produced that, that are going to they're four and a half hour football games, four hour and forty minute games. I mean, Tennessee had 18 possessions in, in regulation against Purdue. And Purdue had 17 possessions in regulation. Um, you can't play those games without them being four and a half hour games, four hour and 40 minute games. I, I think that's something that that has to be on the docket of, of everybody to look at as well. So the, the the clock would be and the length of games would be the only other thing I would add to what you guys were talking about. All right, let's go ahead. I, I just want to add a counterpoint to AP. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the good team, you know, the elite programs are cherry picking some some guys. But I think the transfer – I mean, who benefited more from the transfer portal than Tennessee this year? I mean, if, if – Alabama, Jamison Williams. You think Jamison Williams made a bigger – would Alabama still not be playing for a national title without Jamison Williams? Tennessee doesn't win seven games without Hannah Hooker. Well, Alabama I, still could still win the SEC. I, I don't – I don't think they beat Georgia without Jamison Williams because Mitchie got hurt in the first half. If, well, I mean, if, if they had if they had Mitchie, I'm saying – I mean. I think Kenan Hooker made a way bigger impact on Tennessee's team than Jameson Williams did on that. Well, I think a, I think a starting – I mean, I think inheriting – getting a starting quarterback is always going to be inherent – is going to always be the bigger input or the bigger influx in, in helping a team. I think the point Austin was making where – and I agree with what you're saying, Rob, but also agree with Austin's standpoint, it, it's the cherry picking. I mean, the, the, the great – the real talents – the real established talents that are leaving programs like, like Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs want to go play in a playoff. Alabama says, Hey, come on. 
Okay. I mean, the, the, the programs there are cherry picking. And, and I think the key word is cherry picking. They're not going to take seven transfers or five transfers. I think from a quantity standpoint, the transfer portal can help a team get better. See Michigan State, right? I mean, you're talking about teams benefiting from the transfer portal. There's probably no program that benefited more from the transfer portal this year than what Michigan State did with the influx of transfers they brought on. In terms of getting elite talent out of the transfer portal, the elite programs are going to cherry pick the elite talent, which you would yeah, say the, which you would say the elite programs are cherry picking the elite high school talent, right? I mean, because to to catch those programs, you have to hit on enough guys who were just a little bit of a rung below, right? That 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 you you can take and and run with and develop. And they become big time, you know, big time players that help your programs take off that way. So um, I, I do think that the elite programs cherry pick, but I do think rebuilding programs benefit significantly from the transfer portal as well. I think the timing of the portal is a challenge and will continue to be a challenge. I just don't know rule wise how you fix that, if you can fix that in, in any way, shape or form. All right, we got to get to hoops here. Let's jump to Tennessee basketball. Uh, Rob, a lot of people want to know. That last shot against Alabama, that last possession, they want to know more about where Powell's going to be. He's got to play more defense. Tennessee's playing Ole Miss. They're at full strength. Your takeaways from the loss to Alabama as they head into their second conference game here. I mean, I get I get that fans were upset, but once Chandler and Fulkerson didn't take the floor, I thought Tennessee was going to get run out of the gym. I mean, so for them to show up and, and battle the way they did, I was impressed. I mean, I was I was really impressed with them. Um, for the grit, you know, the determination. Um, and, yeah, I get the fans' disappointment that, that you know, they got into the final minute and, or final four minutes and, you know, didn't get it done. But to me, that looks like a team that's going to compete for the SEC title um, this year. The Justin Powell thing, I've got nothing. I mean, I have nothing for you. I, I, I asked Rick Barnes, we got to – there's a – you got to – I put his quote in the Monday 3-2-1. It's on – it's up on up on the side if anybody wants to, to read it. I asked Coach Barnes specifically, is it just about defense? He said it's just about defense. But to me, that doesn't explain Victor Bailey playing 20 minutes and Justin Powell playing 15. I guess some of that was Kennedy Channel related. You know, maybe Bailey can do a little do some things, you know, that that Powell can't do in terms of replacing um Chandler, but I don't get it, and I've, I've said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Coach Barnes knows more about basketball, or has forgotten more about basketball than I'm going to know. But um, Justin Powell and Brandon Huntley Hatfield be playing much bigger roles for me. And you know, he's going to say that you know Huntley Hatfield's not ready, not ready. I mean, my response would be, you should have got him ready in November against USC Upstate, against you know some of these cupcakes. He should, in my opinion, should have been playing. 20, 25 minutes against those kind of opponents. So you're not scared about playing him 15 minutes against Alabama. Is, is the balance between offense, offensive output uh, or offensive production versus defense, is it different now in, in the way the game's played compared to 15 years ago, Rob? Or do you think it's always one of those deals where, you know, you, you don't, you don't necessarily choose an offensive guy. I guess somebody asked me this question. Maybe this is a better way to ask it. Would Chris Lofton had a hard time getting on the floor in this program because of defensive struggles? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think so, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I just, I, mean, I don't know I mean, the answer. I'm, I'm asking the question. I don't have an answer. I don't have an opinion, really. Because I think Chris was a better defensive player than he was given credit for by, oh, by a lot. I agree. And I'll tell you what, he was a really good team defensive player. Right. Now, I mean, you could you could put him, you know, some some quick guys could could take advantage of him, but he was and, and people smarter than me about basketball have pointed this out to me about Chris. He I mean, he was great at knowing where his help was, knowing, you know, what where he needed to try and steer guys, where he needed to what he needed to try to overplay. And and he was and, and Chris was strong too, man. I mean, he was he, he was really thick up top. I mean, he he wasn't the fastest player in the world, but you know, it wasn't the kind of guy you could put a shoulder into and, and get out of the way. So I, I have a really hard time thinking that Chris's career wouldn't have been pretty much the same no matter who he played for. Right. I got you. It was a question somebody asked. I thought it was an interesting take. And his point was, you know, Chris was about offense, offense, and maybe wasn't the best defensive player. It feels like that offense is sacrificed for better defensive players at times in this program. And is that the way, is that the way to be the most successful in college basketball these days? And I almost kind of think it is. I mean, cause when you look at I mean, Arizona came in here a couple of weeks ago, averaging 90 plus points a game, top scoring team in the country and Tennessee put them in, put them in a phone booth. You know I mean? They, unlike football, I think good defense can beat good offense in college basketball. I mean, I, I don't know what Baylor ranked last year defensively but i would i would wager they were one of the top 10 teams in the country would in you know field goal percentage defense your advanced metric stuff um just because i mean it's simply i mean it's a cliche but it, there are simply some nights where your shots you're not going to shoot well but you can play you know defense is something you can control every single night out with, with effort and execution and you know even if you're you're chris lofton or jj reddick there should be some nights for it just doesn't go down for you, but you can, you can guard hard. You can, you know, you can get up into people every, every single night. And I mean, I think that's, I, I certainly think that's what this head basketball coach believes in. I mean, he likes offense. He'd like, he'd love to score 90 every night, but he, he knows. He didn't want to give up 92. He, he knows you got a better chance at holding somebody to 60. Okay. Then, then you going out and score 90 in college basketball, you know, in, in SEC play. Yeah, defense travels, as you like to say, you know, where offense can, can certainly be inconsistent. How big is it – how important was it that this team played the way they did without those two guys in terms of building moving forward? Because, look, I, I mean, we're, it, we're in a world where it's – this is probably not going to be the only time some guys miss, right? That's just what we're dealing with. Not. You know, how big is it that Tennessee was toe-to-toe with one of the SEC's upper-tier teams on their home floor without arguably their two best players on the court? I mean, I think it was big. I tell you, and, and individually, I think it was really big for Olivier. I know he didn't shoot it well, but he, he took 17 shots. And he, you know, he he took on the challenge is what I'm saying. I mean, he, I mean, he was good defensively. He was good on the boards, but offensively, he did not shy away from trying to step up and carry the load. Now, he did do a great job of it. I mean, he had a huge three in the last minute that would have been the shot of the game if, if Tennessee had defended better in the last 50 seconds. But I was impressed by the way he didn't shrink from the moment. I mean, I, and I kind of thought I kind of thought that he would. And, you know, apologies to Olivier. But, I, you know, because there's, there's been some games where he simply looked like, you know, he was very willing to take a step back and play defensive rebound. But he, he stepped into it. Um, I, 
I didn't think Ziegler played great, but I don't. I also didn't think he was rattled. You know, I didn't. I don't think he shrunk from the moment either. I mean, he had he had four turnovers, which which were costly in a game that tight. But he didn't he didn't look like he was backing down either. And I think that's I think that's big for him. Yeah, certainly for us, because you never know in a night where Chandler's going to get in foul trouble. And and can you create offense with Ziegler on the floor uh, the way that they obviously did? They changed how they played. They created some opportunities for him to get in the paint, which is obviously that his his skill, what, what he does best at this point. Talk a little bit about Ole Miss. What are the challenges there? What, what's Tennessee need to get need to do to, to get that first win, uh, the, that first conference win tomorrow night? Yeah, I just not just about Ole Miss, but I, I mean, I, I the thing that worries me the most about this team is probably rebounding. I mean, I was really impressed that they held their own with Arizona on the glass. I mean, that, that's a, that was a big physical front line. Uh, I mean, Ole Miss is not that, but just for I mean, Tennessee's pretty low in the SEC in, in rebounding margin. They're down in the bottom third. I think they're ninth after this weekend. Just you know, and it's like plus four point something and, and that's coming out of non-conference play you know you want that number to be higher I mean that, that's going to go down in SEC play just because you know the kind of skill and size are seeing so you know not not just Ole Miss specifically but generally in the SEC can Tennessee take care of their backboard especially as good as they are on defense that could be an Achilles heel if you you know playing 30 seconds of great defense means just absolutely nothing if you can't own your own defensive glass. We'll find out if Tennessee can win on the glass. We'll find out if they can get their first conference win. We'll have full coverage of that Wednesday night here at VolQuest.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the Smoky Mountain Organics podcast. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.